jinkies. Oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book. It's a tome made out of skin. Ew. What's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god! Don't read it out loud! Don't read it out loud! And that's why we need a straight pride parade. Thank you. I have been saying this for so long. Stacy, did you hit record? Were you recording when we started talking about that? Oh no, we missed our whole reasoning. Oh, God damn just, it, Stacy! I'm sorry. You know I don't know how to use a computer. You don't. Even after you took the Velvet Planner Masterclass. <laughs> Stacy, I worry about. I don't want to be come for and I don't want to be called in and told that we are invisibilizing or erasing straight culture. I know our intolerance is very problematic. And I, you know, having formally called myself out um, and, 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 and approaching the processing heart circle to, to make amends and to create a reparations plan for straight erasure. Um, I've committed and challenged myself to actually advocate on behalf of, of straight people and allies everywhere. Um, well, if we don't do it, who will? Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I just worry, you know, that that one director's cameo in Avengers Endgame where he plays a gay character is just going to create an avalanche where straight people no longer feel represented or seen. And we don't want that, right? They're, we don't want they're that. a threatened species. No, here at Gaylords of Darkness, we put straight people before we put ourselves. Absolutely. And that's why we will only be reviewing Michael Bay films for the rest <laughs> of this podcast duration. And Nicholas Sparks. We agreed we would also okay. review Nicholas Sparks films. Stacy, I just, I told you ever since we did the notebook for today's episode, like I still am really emotional. So it's really just triggering no, for me. Hard. It's hard. I need you to respect um, my trigger box that I set up around myself. All right. I, I'm a I'm a I'm a trigger mime trapped inside my trigger box. Yeah. I feel like I'm trapped in a rainstorm and I'm kissing my emotions. <laughs> Doesn't that happen in the notebook? I mean, I watched it for this show. <laughs> It sounds so humid. Don't <laughs> yeah, don't they make out in the... Torrential. I did watch the notebook, right? No, I thought... No, they made out when she was upside down in the Spider-Man outfit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. later. That's in yeah. the, later when they're old. When Gina Rollins has Alzheimer's <laughs> and she's Spider-Man. <laughs> no, but I really do think there should be a straight pride parade and if it's in boston that's fine so long as the route takes them directly into the mouth of an open volcano <laughs> of which there are several in boston yeah, yeah. in well, the greater the... boston area wasn't boston that would actually be a great place too because uh wasn't that also where that um that giant vat of molasses like overturned a hundred yes. years ago and then like hot molasses just burnt and ate everyone alive like the blob yeah I'm That's the that. straight pride I want to see. And they could just turn into straight pride brittle. <laughs> that would 
Oh, we could sell them at LGBT Revenge Month. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. At the at the Drag Queen Storytime Kids Parade. <laughs> Enjoy a straight riddle. Here's what I have to say. Here's what I have to say. The rant isn't finished. The say rant it. is not finished. It's never. It's Pride Month. You know, it's the one time of the year that I get um, seen by corporations. So right. I feel like. I've got a rainbow spotlight on me and I've got to own up to it. So I feel the apologists. I don't understand the apologists that show up to say, okay, well, maybe it's not, you know, I can see that you feel tokenized or that you feel like a corporation is just patting themselves on the back by saying, look, I have a gay friend. But these people that say like, oh, well, you know, it's just helpful that corporations see us and that we're that they're putting rainbow flags on because then some of them also donate to causes and like that may very well be true. It's just like I also guess my problem is I don't I, maybe I read maybe I've read too many books I don't know maybe I spent too many, too much time in like an arts college but I'm so sick of capitalism being like the driving force for pride. Uh, and, and all, and furthermore, like these people that seem to act like capitalism is the only way that we can exist. I understand to get out of this mess is a giant mess, but the same thing goes with like global warming and that both are informing each other. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) No, I agree. I mean, it could be nice for a child to grow up in a world where they feel accepted you know, to an extent, just because they're at, you know, the mall or whatever, and some fucking store has a rainbow flag in the window. Like, I get it. But, you know, brands don't love us. No! Anybody. And I mean, even straight people. Like, they love your money, but that's it. And so, like, sometimes I wonder, like, the millennials. Oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. The avocado toast army is going to get out there. Gen Z. <laughs> They have a, a different relationship with brands thanks to social media. And it's like just because the poor schlub who's running like the fucking Wendy's Twitter account or something happens to say something clever once in a while. It's like there's a weird humanizing of brands thanks to social media. Oh, yeah. And yeah. like brands aren't your friends. No, they're not. <laughs> you know? They're not real people. And they do horrible things. Yeah. Yeah, And ultimately, the end goal is just to see who can amass the most money and then how quickly we can destroy the planet and not care about it. Right. Yeah. I feel like such a stoner. I feel like such a stoner. Like, I'm sitting here with my with my spliff and I'm just rambling because I just got out of a out of a class where we looked at like a Noam Chomsky book. But I don't know, man. I just feel like I want to go back to the radical queerness and like not like trans exclusionary radical feminism or whatever queerness but like i want to go back to like truly radical queerness where we're like we were like throwing bricks at cops you know instead of allowing them to march in the pride parade uh it's it's we should be marching we shouldn't be parading i guess i i want i want more of that and i want i want just like i just want queers to rise up and eat everyone i keep saying this over and over yeah, I think the vast uh, majority of them, though, are hoping for, like, a Borg kind of situation with yeah. people where we just get assimilated into the hive mind. And it's like, well, we can get married now, and we, it's easier to have kids now, and we can, and it's just like, we're becoming just like them, 
it's kind of it's a weird it's just we're still seeing society filtered through a heteronormative lens and it's like that's the thing to aspire to and granted if we are equal to that then maybe we'll get like murdered less but (laughs) but, there's an argument for that you know there's an argument for that but also it's just i don't know i'm just like how fucking boring (laughs) yeah well and i i guess ultimately like the end goal of the equality myth uh the the like utopic idea of myth of equality is normalization but like that is that is just borg that's homogeneity yeah um it's homogenous and and if you don't conform to that and you it's like then it's like then even the queer people are like why don't you what why are you being so loud and can't you just take your kinks somewhere else i don't want to see them at the pride parade yeah no man i want to be a freak yeah i want to i want to be a monster i want to be female trouble i Mm -hmm. who wants to die for art (laughs) exactly that's that's what i want that's what we need to be like i don't know i don't know and it's interesting because in that book i was reading um trans by jack halberstam which i I just finished is amazing so good uh even in that they talk about like uh, the the youth and this attitude of like being super uh, being super like angry and and privileged over instances of depiction like like how uh, here in Portland actually there was a presentation of Boys Don't Cry with Kimberly Pierce at Reed College oh dear and an uh, entire student group showed up and like violently protested and as Kimberly Pierce came out to speak they replaced all the posters with things that said like die you cis dyke bitch and like they were all screaming all of these slurs at her and like didn't even allow her to speak and she just left um but it was like that was one of the few movies to even depict trans people in a positive light and like sympathetic light at the time back when it was like kind of difficult to also cast a trans actor because for visibility's sake and for the safety of being out there weren't really many um and so students were applying this like modern day lens to something that just doesn't apply to something back in the past. Um, But also they're coming at it from a place of privilege where it's like, we only want to see stories that tell these that are told a certain way. And we don't want to be confronted with how bad things can be because they've one, haven't experienced it. And two, want to move towards a future where they aren't different and where we are just all the same kind of. Right. And that's upsetting to me because I think part of the gl- glory of queerness is being like a weirdo and being a kind of a question mark for other culture to look at and not know how to market to or not know how to um, isolate. I mean, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too heady with my stogie, my weed stogie. <laughs> a weed stogie. <laughs> it's just pride season gets me down. It always yeah. does this to me. I know what you mean. It's nice to see support, like when you know straight straight friends are posting their support or what. Like I, you know, that's nice. I just I don't know. I don't. No matter how much equality, like however much we're absorbed into the like heteronormative paradigm, like I'm never gonna fit. You know, like yeah. being weird is my identity. I've been told to my face, "You're weird," more times <laughs> in my fucking life. <laughs> Then I can count, you know, like, and it wasn't always a bad thing. Do you know what I mean? But that's just like, that's my identity. Yeah, I completely relate to that. Here's what I want. I want a pride (laughs) where there's the parade, right? And everyone's like, there's the straight, the straight pride. That's what I want. I want straight pride to happen. Everyone's having a blast. And then the giant 
divine flow appears in the sky. <laughs> yeah, and it's like everything goes dark. The sun yeah, is blotted yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, the sun goes black. <laughs> like everything, like the shadow just overtakes land. Everyone looks up and it, like there's the chill of the wind. And and then <laughs> and then the 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 um on riding on top of the divine flow is Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, and she's just like. <laughs> She's like in Doctor Strange Love, like on the on the bomb. Oh yeah, and yeah. Then, and then she like she like j- like jumps off of it in time, and she has a jetpack because she's extra cool. And <laughs> then the the float explodes, and then a hot molasses rains on everyone. Mm. And then and then we all um, take over Washington, and then she is installed as queen and dictator for life. <laughs> yeah. Well, she rips open her chest. And then there's a montage of people going, straight pride! And then their heads explode. (laughs) Straight pride! (laughs) (laughs) She is installed as our new queen. I get to be Miss Vindigast. Um, I just sing while I scrub up molasses. And uh, that's what I want to see in this world. World, Earth, Earl. I said right. Earl. Damn. Now who's the Andy Rooney? Mm-hmm. I know. I've turned into Andy. Here's the problem. I read a book and now I'm radicalized. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I read a book on Karen Carpenter yesterday and now I'm sad, too. So I'm just like oh. this sad radicalized. Oh, no. So. That's the worst kind of radicalized. I know, I know, but I, but it's I have Karen's velvety voice in my back, oh. my mind at all times, so that's helpful. An angel we never deserved. No, we truly didn't. The world was not ready for her. Well, right now I'm sad. I'm so sorry. I'm on the top of the world, looking down on creation. <laughs> Attention, aliens. Oh, oh, Attention Aliens, my favorite Carpenter's song. (laughs) That title is too long for me. I just shortened it to Attention Aliens, and it's just as good. Which I love. For anyone listening, Stacey's referring to Calling All Occupants of Interplanetary Craft by the Carpenters. (laughs) Which, like, last time we talked about it, she goes, you know that Carpenter song you like, Attention Aliens? Troll me, I'm assuming. <laughs> it's easier to say and remember. It is. I knew what you were referring to. <laughs> right. Look so at this. You've created a carpenter short form vernacular. Right. <laughs> Take that, Noam Chomsky. <laughs> well, uh, happy pride. So pride is terrible. We are we're happy to have it. And uh, with that said, we decided to to take a trip um, to a faraway land of France in the 1960s. 1960, really? Yeah. Uh, to enjoy a, a a a time where we where we didn't have rights yet, um, and some of us also didn't have faces. <laughs> some of with... us were just eyes. Some of us were just eyes without a face. And some might even say, how did we still have like eyelids and eyelashes? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> and yet our questions, most of our questions were answered, I think, uh, in a delightful way. Yeah. Wow. That's a good intro. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've been doing um, the Thomas Kincaid school of talking. I <laughs> <laughs> one of the most famous talking schools 
Yeah, yeah. Basically, you get drunk and then you beat your family. Um, and yeah, yeah. It's a it's a great education. Nice, excellent. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Nineteen sixty. <laughs> Eyes without a face. Eyes without a face. The whole time we we're watching She's this got movie. No face. Oh. oh god where is her face <laughs> what happened to your face <laughs> please keep on your mask <laughs> yeah 1960 directed by georges franju man you you, had, know, you had never seen this is that i had never seen it it has been at the top of my list for like 15 years oh. uh and i was so happy to that's why i like doing this show is now now I don't have to see every movie because I'm going to watch it for this show and it's research. So actually I'm doing my job. So you can put away your, your ledger mom. <laughs> oh, wait, am I the mom? Oh no, no, I you're not. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, you're not the mom. Maybe your mom. Maybe I'm talking to your I'm mom. I'm the mommy's baby. <laughs> I'm baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, uh, I recalled you saying you had never seen it. So I was really excited for you to see it because it's one of my favorites. I think it's a fucking masterpiece. And I'm not I fucking the only, loved it. I'm not the only person who thinks that, obviously. Uh, well, clearly it's just you and Criterion and nobody else because I've never <laughs> yeah. heard anybody ever talk about it besides that. <laughs> I loved it. I absolutely love this movie. Um, I don't even know where to begin with Eyes Without a Face. I guess a. Do you want to tell us what it's about, Stacey, for those of us that haven't seen it? A doctor's daughter was horribly disfigured in a car accident, and uh, she her face is nothing but a mass of scars, and uh, he's trying to find a suitable face to transplant onto her. He's trying to make it a success. And so they're kidnapping young women who kind of look like her and performing these grisly operations in his little clinic and trying to graft a new face onto her. And it doesn't work yep it doesn't work and she kind of uh is really unhappy <laughs> that's a word for it <laughs> she's just on her live journal yeah <laughs> i'm just super unhappy you guys dad doesn't understand my face is rotting <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and so at the end, she free she frees all of the uh, dogs that he's been experimenting on, and they attack and kill him. And she, Christiane, wanders off into the night with doves flying around her. Oh, that image. The this... whole movie is nothing but images. Like, every fucking frame is a work of art. It is stunning. It is absolutely... And... And I did rent the Criterion Blu-ray for this, and I can't, I can't, um, every image, it's absolutely stunning in this movie. Like, it is insane how gorgeous this thing is. Mm -hmm. I, the, the, that last image of the dove, her with the, that weird little dove on her hand, especially as she just, like, flitters into the wilderness, was, it's just stunning. This movie is so beautiful. It really is. It's haunting. Like the the image of Edith Scobe as Christiane in that mask. That oh. even if you've never seen the movie, like you would recognize. You've the, seen like, that. You've seen that. Um, that mask is just chilling, and I'm try. I try to figure out why, and I think it's because it's so tight to her face, and it matches her skin tone so perfectly. That oh yeah, it's the it's the uncanny. Yeah, right? it's super uncanny. You can't 
tell if it is a mask sometimes. And she's got those wide set, really expressive eyes. And it's just, and her white nightgown. And she's just haunting this like gothic house, this mansion out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the mad, he's like, it's a mad scientist story. Like the mad scientist mansion is still very much a castle in the, in old horror. And especially um, in black and white horror, we can't help but read it as a castle. So she is this, this creepy, uncanny, like she's kind of with that, with her, I was really, um, I was really struck by her oversized, uh, weird cape rope gown things. Yes. Her house coat. They're almost, <laughs> yeah, her house coat. Like they're, it's almost like a child's, like a, like she's, there's kind of a John Bonet like aesthetic to her. <laughs> and <laughs> she, she very much looks and reads like this weird doll as she's moving throughout the yes. like castle environment. And, and yeah, that un- that uncanny aspect because like her eyes fit so well with the mask. And in black and white, you can't really differentiate the where her skin ends and the mask starts. I mean, you can look, but it's kind of that thing where like if you blur your eyes just a little, it's gonna look yeah human ish. But you can your your like lizard brain is like something about this is not right. Mm-hmm. And I and it's interesting that the movie plays with that too, like with the the aspect of blurring her face in and out, and how much you actually see of it. Um, that it just creates even more of that like creepy, uncanny effect with her. Yes, and she's so tiny and dainty that she looks like she doesn't make a sound. You know what I mean? Yeah, she like flits around. I could just imagine she would sneak up on you because she just doesn't make any noise when she walks. <laughs> you know. She, oh yeah. She practically no. floats everywhere. Yeah, she's she's absolutely a floater. Yeah. Oh, like a <laughs> <well>. <laughs> like the bands. She's not like scary though. Like right. I mean, her right. face is, but like she's still sympathetic, and so that kind of creates even more of that internal duress on your part as the viewer. I think. Yes. Yeah absolutely she's haunting this place and the young women who ha- wake up and happen to see her are completely terrified yeah uh, but as viewers we have sympathy for her i think yeah so the doctor's assistant louise oh my god who is miss fucking tanner from the miss original OG suspiria fucking miss tanner yeah is uh kidnapping them. like she's kind of charged with finding the young girls luring them to the house and then disposing of their bodies after the operation and she always has to do this in her pearl necklace which you will learn the moral of this story is do not stalk and abduct women in a pearl necklace or they will find you <laughs> yeah. i mean if you want to get away with it don't wear your pearl necklace if you i mean wear it once in a while but change up your neck wear you know yeah yeah try a try like a nice um sh- a scarf a scarf. A, a, well, don't do a handkerchief. I don't trust anyone that wears a handkerchief around their neck. Except dogs. Yeah. That's cute. Just dogs. Yeah. But yeah, try a scarf, maybe. Right. Shake it up just a tiny bit. A charm, a, a little, maybe you could have a little necklace that has your name on it in cursive. Yeah. <laughs> um, a, 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 a puka shell choker like all the gays wore in 1998. <laughs> <There you> <laughs> <go>. <laughs> it matches your frosted tips very well. Yeah, I want to see that person where she has her frosted tips and her billabong <laughs> shirt and her puka shell necklace. <laughs> That's the sequel where she stalks uh, 1998 California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she's charged with finding these women. And the first young woman she finds is, you know, um, looking for a room. She's got, she does a meet cute, basically forces a meet cute at a theater 
And <clears throat> this young woman doesn't have a lot of money and is kind of desperately looking for a room. And the whole thing just kind of reminded me of martyrs. Like that whole scenario yes! of like wealthy people exploiting the poor. I mean, in horrific, horrific ways. Like that's understating it. But exploiting these poor people who don't even count as people for them to achieve whatever ends they want to achieve. Yes. there. It's so funny that you say martyrs because, um, spoiler alert, we're talking about two films uh, in this episode. And I got martyrs from both of these. And it's interesting how much... Um, how much DNA this, how formative the DNA of this film is for so many movies, like including the, including martyrs, including the movie that we're going to talk about after this, including like even Ex Machina. Like I had no idea how I knew this film was groundbreaking and like very formative, but I did not realize how many of my favorite tropes and like images and um, just overall style comes directly from this film. Yes. Yeah, it's hugely formative. Um, absolute classic. And yet it's, I wouldn't say it's overlooked, but it's not always mentioned when you talk well, about it. Well, because it's got the, you can, I don't want, I don't come to movies to read This Stacey. is true. This is true. I don't come to long, slow ass black and white movies so that I can read them. <laughs> yeah, but. I gotta eat popcorn. That's true. That's true. And I know you eat with your eyes, so. Yeah. <laughs> but when you talk about, like, you know, such formative film, it's always like Psycho or Peeping Tom, you know, like these other kind of movies. And then there's Eyes Without a Face, which is just. I mean, like, yeah, and Psycho's super influential with, what, like, slashers and, like, serial killer films. But Eyes Without a Face, this is very much laying the groundwork for, like, psychosexual thrillers. Mm-hmm. Um like anything that's related to to the uncanny like body horror body horror for sure um oh my god oh my god and that's what i mean for 196 like anytime i watch an older horror film i'm like okay that i always i always say this i'm not a gore hound but i always want the core <laughs> <laughs> and with older films you know we don't usually get anything like that um this movie is shockingly gruesome for its time yeah I was thinking about that. I was like, wouldn't it be something to be able to see a film with, like, I try to keep the mindset of when I'm watching an older film, but people in 1960 must have lost their fucking minds. Here's the thing. If people in like 1900 were like, the train is going to hit me. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I cannot imagine the poor motherfucker. Like if Psycho was freaking people out and if people were puking during the exorcist, which I'm sure some of those stories are maybe true. But like, if that really happened, I'm sure there was just French. Like, I'm I'm surprised the nation of France wasn't completely destroyed by a collective like <laughs> yeah. stroke watching yeah. this film. Yeah, that surgery sequence. Yeah, like it's very graphic. It's super graphic. I was I I would I, I had reached the point of the film where I was like, I'm going to have a yogurt because I'm health conscious. <laughs> <laughs> And so I was eating my yogurt, and then all of a sudden, like, he's putting the forceps on the face after he's applied. And I was really surprised by the just the simple shot of him taking the scalpel along out- yeah. the outline of her face uh, and seeing some blood come from that. But it still kind of reads like a Sharpie more than anything. Yeah. So I was like, okay, whatever. Then I see the forceps getting applied and then, like, futzing with the face, and there's this gross, like, gory mask effect to simulate her skin coming off and it 
I was like, I, I have to set down my yogurt. This yeah. Is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, something is going to curdle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And, you know, films were in kind of, horror films especially, were in kind of an interesting transitional period because Hammer was starting to become big at that point. Yeah. Which started to show blood and started to show, you know, some, they were getting sexier and they were getting a little bit gorier. Like we were just moving out of the sort of universal monsters and just never showing anything yeah you know? and even then though 1960 with with that era like we would get like some like uh with the horror of dracula with christopher lee and peter cushing we would get like a drop of blood yeah you get blood maybe blood on his lip yeah and so oh how gruesome oh god you know <laughs> and now it's like i mean you know once you've seen like goatsy you know what I mean? Like, we're just so <laughs> far past all of this, and it's just... Yeah. I don't know. But also to, even as a modern-day viewer, to watch this film, um, and and just, you know, there is a, somewhat of a deliberate pace, and it is black and white, and it is in French, um, but then to have those moments, it really hits you. Yes. Yeah. Well, you're not quite sure where it's going yeah you know you know they're up to something sinister and even if they've kind of talked about it like you just don't expect them to show the fucking procedure in full yeah and it's amazing how to that end it's amazing how the storytelling unfolds because like the first 10 minutes of the movie i had no idea what was happening (laughs) i had no idea who anybody was i was so confused uh and then the second they kind of reveal what, you know, that that's, that this is his daughter and that the body that they just dumped and switched out with his daughter was the the first victim, you immediately know uh, you have the groundwork. Right. Um, and then it's just like there's just sort of revelation upon revelation, story beat and story twist upon twist. Um, and it, it just keeps you entranced. Yes. It's really nice. It's really nice because you're you know they're kidnapping all of these young women also like these young women who don't even have the dignity of like being found when they're dead yeah and that's kind of it's shocking that they there's like three women yeah that they basically go through in the course of this film and it's like kind of also laying the groundwork for some stalker and slasher themes in there with that too Mm -hmm. yeah uh here's my question yes they say it's blonde women well, are, did they try? Are they blondes or did they I just? I think they're dirty blonde, like dark. Okay, because in the black and white, I mean, I get that it's black and white, but I was like, why did they tell her to dye her hair blonde? But they're all they all have brown hair. <laughs> yeah, so they're confused. not like peroxided. I think they're just like really dirty blonde, and in the black and white, it comes across as just another shade of brown. You know? Yeah. Well, I'm an American, so I was this offended. Is true. You know what's interesting <laughs> is that in the American edit of this, did you read about that? No. The American edit. First of all, they changed the name. When it first was released, it was released like on double bills with other exploitation kind of movies. And I mean, exploitation for like late fifties kind of stuff. Oh yeah. I did see that that happened. So, what they changed the name to? Was it Faceula? They changed the name to the horror chamber of Dr. Faustus. Oh my God. That's just embarrassing. I mean, I love that title, but that's just yeah. embarrassing. It's just for embarrassing. And it's also just so fucking American that like the face scene, the, the surgery scene got 
edited. Like, I think they blurred it, they said. Like, so you couldn't really see what was going on. But then the only scene they cut out was the scene later at the hospital where the doctor is treating the young boy. They cut that out because it made the villain too sympathetic. uh, And I'm like, how American to, like, not have any nuance. Yeah, yeah, we can't have it. We can't have any signs of nuance in this. He needs to be a bad guy and that is it. We are a mare I can's and Dr. Faustus (laughs) is an a mare I can't. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that is so funny. Also, yeah. like, why would you why would you make it explicitly like a one-sided villain? Take out that sequence, call it the horror chamber of Dr. Faustus, and then take out the most gruesome, like disturbing part of the movie. Right. Well, I guess or, they still like, couldn't edit it down. Probably until like Herschel Gordon Lewis. We were still had gore kind of under wraps a little. So Yeah. Yeah. It's just so American to do that. I hate this country. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Pride. Happy Pride, everyone. Wow, that is so funny. I had, I just, that's like, I mean, this is such an art film at the same time as it is a horror film that, um, oh, yeah. That's just so sad because this movie is amazing and beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's such an insult to be like the horror chamber of Dr. Faustus. (laughs) I know. This movie is literally a piece of art. Like, it's so beautiful and so horrifying and so sad and wonderful. And I love the fact that she, like, the cops don't save her. Her fiance doesn't save her. She saves. No. She saves herself, and she saves another woman. Yeah, in nineteen sixty. Yeah, yeah, it's a feminist film. Absolutely, it's absolutely it's, feminist. It's shocking. Yeah. Um, when when the the title, the concept, the aesthetic, nothing about that would say would read feminist to me going in. Right. Um, and it is. Yeah, it's so well done. So mm-hmm. well done. Also. <laughs> I mean, granted, yes, Stacy. I'm happy that good things happen to the women and that they establish a bond, whatever. That's important for representation. But the carnival music? Did you love the carnival music that plays? It's really uh, out of place. That French 1960s, yeah. like, car- carnival theme. What the fuck? And I love that it kind of became Miss um, Tanner slash Louise's, like, unofficial stock music as she was, like, going to kidnap these girls. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. And yet still more in place than in the acclaimed remake, The Haunting. Oh, God. Why would you bring that up? <laughs> well, because I have a little demon on my shoulder. <laughs> it's like, hey, remind Stacy of her least favorite thing in the world. <laughs> so I love that the doctor dies from the animals that he's neglected and experimented on. All these- At the hands of his daughter, basically. At the hands of his daughter. Oh, I just love this movie so much. And it must be said that those dogs are all good boys. They, they are very such good boys. Very good boys. Um, oh, that for, when that scene when she goes into the little cage room and it's all sad because they're all just in the dark in their little tiny cage things. Yeah. And and the the first good boy pops out and he loves her so much. Yeah. Oh my god! It's yeah. So Lots sweet. of good doggies. I, Look at a variety of doggies too. A whole variety. The whole world is a beautiful symphony of wonderful beasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all such good boys. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I love the movie as much as I love those dogs. Um, mm-hmm. Yay. God, that, that ending, that ending. Yeah. I just couldn't get over it from the second that, um, cause it, was it Paulette that killed Louise or was it Chris? No, Chris, Christian killed her. Like Paulette, Paulette got cut. Christian. Okay. So Paulette is going to be the next victim and she's tied to the table. And Christian has, after her last face transplant didn't work, which was really horrific. We see a series of images of it failing on her. Yes. It just rots off her face. Literally rotting. It's like necrotizing tissue on her face. And so they have to take it off again. And she's like, stop doing this to me. I don't want this anymore. I would rather just die. And they're like, nope, we're going to do it again. And so they kidnap Paulette and she is tied to the table. Uh, You know, they're going to do the procedure and Christiane comes in and cuts her free and Paulette fucking bolts. She's like, bye. And then then Louise (laughs) comes in and is like, no, no, no. What are you doing? And then Christiane stabs her right in the pearl choker. Right in that pearl choker, and it is a shocker. Yeah, yeah. It just and it the the when she and she just looks at her and says like why or whatever, yeah. and then falls over and dies. Um, that's it. Uh, it reminded me so much of my favorite scene in Ex Machina when um the main robot woman Alicia Vikander escapes and like she just goes up to Oscar Isaac and just stabs him right mm-hmm. in the stomach with that and it just goes in like butter it's one of my favorite sequences yes uh and it was so funny to see that acted out originally here mm-hmm. um but it's like even more shocking because it's like woman on woman caretaker kind of violence i don't know it's it's yeah it's just it just hits you and it's yeah and yet and yet and yet i mean she she's killing these she kills another woman. She kills um, her father. Um, but she's also, she. you can't help but root for her and feel sympathetic towards her. And and she also, in, in many ways, it's about liberation. Like she, she then has, it's like a little over the top, the born free moment where she releases the dogs, they eat her dad, and then she releases all the doves too. Right. And it's like, they could just be playing the born free theme song. <laughs> um, but it's also beautiful. And it's, it's just so deserved at that moment. Right. Um, well, throughout the film, it's like, you're unsure. She's almost another, another perpetrator of all of this, you know? Yeah. Cause she's, she's just there waiting to take on whoever's face next. Right. Exactly. And like, she is confronted with one young woman who wakes up and she doesn't let her go. No. You know, but then she finally reaches her breaking point and it's like she's basically held captive by her father. Yeah. So she breaks herself out, man, and I don't know what's going to happen next, but I love the idea of her haunting those woods. <laughs> oh. Could you imagine? You're just like you go camping or like you get you get a tiny house on Airbnb and then and then faceless dove woman is just <laughs> Goes by with her calliope, calliope carnival music. <laughs> and her oversized doll gown. <laughs> but that's, I love, those are my, I think these are, these are quickly like, it's like the witch, um, ex machina, this, like, woman escapes into wilderness. Yeah. Is, yeah. is such a, it's just, that's one way to always get me with an ending. Right. <laughs> I, just like, I love sign me up. Yeah, give me a woman liberating herself from whatever has her shackled. 
And it always, it's so interesting that it always is into the unknown, um, yes. into the wilderness, into this sublime environment. She's going into the dark, wooded, gothic night. Um, and it's, there's, you know, the, the question of, well, what is she going to do now? Or where is she going to go? Or how is she going to exist without a face? None of that matters because having surpassed the torment that she was part of, anything else is, is preferable at that point. Yes. So yeah. it's, it's just such a nice, it's just such a lovely um, theme in films to see. I love that so much. I agree. I agree. I love this movie. Oh, if, you haven't seen, if you haven't seen Eyes Without a Face, you need to make time for it. And it's vastly available. Yeah. Um, I think it's on Prime or Shutter or some. I think it's on a lot of services. Um, yeah. Or le- Letterboxd or whatever the Criterion Collection stuff is on. It's real good. Yeah. And that Blu-ray, like I said, that Blu-ray is stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, don't don't watch it in any other format. I agree. Yeah. Good shit. Hooray. Oh, so then we fast forward to a film that is essentially the same movie, but not at all. Right. Yes. A film that I had never seen. That you had never seen, but I had seen. So we did a little flip here. Yeah. Uh, With 2011, we, we, we journey all the way to 2011 to Spain with Pedro Almodovar's The Skin I Live In. Yeah. Which is interesting because... Having seen, as I watched Eyes Without a Face, I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Like, this is the <laughs> same movie. And then starting The Skin I Live In, it's it's so funny that this is clearly Pedro Almodovar's homage to Eyes Without a Face. Right. Because um, there's so many shared things. Like, we, we have a doctor who specializes in burns and skin, and he lives in a mansion. We have an opening lecture by said doctor. We have a complicit assistant a car crash and there was a fire, a backstory around that. There's masks and skin suits. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And he just, yeah, like some of the central themes from Eyes Without a Face, I think he's working with also, but in such a different, 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 different way. It's <laughs> such a different way. It's also not, I, I don't know if I clarified this with you before we went in, but it's not really a horror movie, but there are horror elements um, I'd call it a uh, not typical horror movie. Yeah, I think it's definitely, it's one of those, like, there's so much more happening in it. Not to say that horror right. isn't capable of more, but um, there's some, there's just a lot happening in it. And it, and Alma Devar also, like, he does this thing where he, he kind of functions in two different genres in most of his work, where he has, like, the really dark overly broody kind of male driven dramas that are really sexual. And then he has like the more lighthearted women centered pieces that are also can also get a little broody too, though, and melodramatic. And this movie kind of fuses both of those sensibilities. Yeah. Um, it's also high camp, but it's also a drum dramatic thriller. Yeah. It's like a uh, psychosexual melodrama by way of, clinical medical horror a la like dead ringers yeah but not as it's, not as straight up horror movie but i i to me it absolutely qualifies so. yeah and it's it's definitely yeah like you said those themes of obsession of grief of um identity uh identity identity <laughs> identity <laughs> like, that's the big one for me this movie and that's the thing so okay some spoiler alerts everyone yeah 
And I couldn't, I couldn't stress this enough with Stacey going into this movie. If you have not seen The Skin I Live In, do not listen. Just watch the movie. This movie, you don't want to have spoiled yeah, watch, for you. Yeah, watch the movie and come back. I was glad it wasn't spoiled for me, for sure. It was it was spoiled for me going into it, and it was that's one of the greatest regrets of my entire lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So take a press stop and come back after you've seen it, because it's worth being unspoiled. So this movie, now that we're now that we are safely unspoiled and have just reviewed reviewed the film as a refreshed and renewed listener ready to jump into this half of the show. <laughs> How do we even describe the skin I live in? A doctor played by Antonio Banderas uh has a young woman sort of held captive it seems. She's locked into a room. He's watching her on monitors. He's performed some kind of skin experiments on her. Uh, from the beginning, it sounds like uh, he's trying to create sort of a tougher skin for human beings so that you can, you know, withstand uh, bug bites and burns and all of these things. So it seems like she's somehow his guinea pig. We don't know how. We don't know why. We don't know what their relationship is. And that relationship is slowly revealed throughout the course of the film as it jumps back and forth in time. Mm -hmm. And you find out who she is, how she got there. Wow. Yeah, and... (laughs) Wow. Ultimately... (laughs) Wow. Ultimately, this is a story about um, obsession. Um, It's about a doctor who has lost his wife who was in, in an affair uh, and then lost his daughter who uh, m- m- was the victim of a sexual assault, but it's unsure how much of that, how much of what happened to her he knows about and how much was just a matter of happenstance and bad timing. And um, ultimately he finds it's revealed that Robert Ledger, the doctor, Antonio Banderas finds the the man that uh he believes assaulted his daughter and then basically takes him into his clinic um like kidnaps him uh shaves him basically does a forced sex change on him so we're getting into deeply problematic territory uh although i think this film i like to think of this film as deliciously problematic um really i mean i i guess i don't find it that problematic if you look at the context of everything and what i think he's trying to say yeah and i don't think problematic is a bad word i think it's problematic in a fascinating complex way Mm. um i guess i could just use the word complex instead Um, yeah problematic is like a whoa pump the brakes let's not uh you know that then you get into canceled territory i think well and it's interesting because when we do we do fall into the use of the word problematic as like a way to it's like almost a chicken shit way of saying like racist or transphobic or sexist or home you know yeah um but i'm like problematic is just like you know it creates a series of problems to talk about and to look at and i think this film does do that um and especially in the way that they that they handle this story, or that Alma Zavar, who is a a brilliant filmmaker, handles this story of of Vera, who is played by Elena Anaya, who was formerly Vicente, um, who was the man that was kidnapped by the doctor, and given this sex change, and then basically 
had her entire body reconstructed as a woman and then has since assumed the identity of a woman and ultimately assumes the identity of like the doctor's partner, um, sexual partner and, and co-inhabitant of his home. And she starts cooking food for him uh, until it reaches the point that we understand that she's kind of, there, there's a feeling that she has Stockholm, been Stockholmed by him, but essentially she is enacting a plot to liberate herself and to get to to convince him that she has become complicit with him, and then ultimately she uses that to distract him and kill him and escape. Yeah, well, I think there's a question of when has that been the plan the entire time? Was she Stockholmed, and then sort of because? She does an abrupt change when she spots the picture of Vicente she sees a, in the picture. Yes, the picture of her former self. Yeah. And then that's when, you know, she really gets the idea to liberate herself. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting because you really don't know. Right, um, yeah. It, there's so many different possibilities. And it's also fascinating to me how uh, she is subjected... It, it, and I'm happy to refer, I'm, I don't even know how to talk about this movie. I should feel more prepared than this because I've been thinking about this movie for like almost 10 years now, <laughs> uh, for, for eight years since I saw it. But um, she, and I, and I refer to her as a she because I, I feel like this movie, uh, I mean, this movie is, has some really interesting things to say about identity. And I do look at this as, at the character of Vera as a she, um, but she she's subjected to so much too, not just what the doctor does. So the film opens with, uh, I mean, pretty early on in the film, she's brutally raped. Yeah. Um. And and it's it's so weird how it's depicted. Uh, because I'm I'm not a I I don't like watching sexual violence in films, and I I don't think we need to show them ever. Um. But. Almost of our films it in such a bizarre way that you I don't it's it's really hard to kind of just like the whole film it's really complicated how he how he films it and he layers things on top of things so she's raped by a man in a cheetah outfit um, yeah and it's it's kind of just as absurd as as the rest of the movie is but also it says a lot about just the absurdity of the world we live in I think and. So it's it's interesting to watch this this character who, if you think about it linearly, which the movie isn't presented in a linear fashion, but to look at it linearly, she is begins by being accused as a rapist, then forced into a sex change, then conditioned and sort of socialized as a woman, um, then experiences her own rape. And then after that point, that's when things really start to shift in her relationship with the doctor and how he it's almost interesting how he it sort of takes the rape for him to look at her as a human being um Mm. who the thing that he punished her slash vicente for becomes the thing that humanizes her and makes her a person in his eyes that's interesting i didn't think about that but that is when because at first she's kind of coming on to him a little bit and he really pushes her away yeah, because there's a, there's a thing of disgust, right? There's... Yeah, and then the rape happens, and the, the rape—I don't want to say the rape was interesting, but it was—you um, didn't know who she was at that point, 
and the rapist yeah. is talking to her like he knows her and so it just kind of added to the the whole thing added to the mystery of like who is this person what's going on and it's it's that's interesting i, I oh my god i don't want to like you said i don't want to say the rape is interesting but that's something that just speaks to how this film is made and the problems it presents um for us to watch as viewers and look at is I think both of the rapes are kind of filmed in that way too, mm-hmm. where there's levels of miscommunication. And as a viewer, you're not sure if this is you, you, it looks like assault, but you're not sure if it is at the same time. Right. Um, and I, and I think when that, especially in that first instance with the cheetah guy, uh, because like you said, because he's talking to her, like he knows her and because it's it almost seems like she's going along with it even though at first she isn't it's so weird it's so weird the second one feels more like assault to me but it's like a almost like a like he thought she was into it and then you know she defends herself like he's they're going at it she starts to say no starts to scream he covers her mouth with his hand she bites his hand um and then he like slaps her and she falls unconscious but then he stops and he leaves yeah, he stops, he dresses her, and he runs away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... And it's so funny, because it's like, I don't want to talk lightly about the issues and the things that happen in this movie, because this is full of really deep, like, heady, uh, violent things that really do happen to, real, to people in real yeah. life. Um, You're not going to f- probably feel comfortable watching this film. I, yeah I was but it, that's certain it's very it's a very uncomfortable movie but that's what i love about this movie is it's so layered in how it depicts all of these things uh that it really creates this sense of like i really need to spend some time thinking about all of these issues that are all happening at once right. in a in a melodrama psychosexual camp thriller yeah <laughs> like, yeah yeah And so it's revealed that, you know, we get the flashbacks and that Vera was Vincente. And then finally he gets out. And I would hesitate to call the person who emerges, let's say, at the end of the film, is insisting that they're Vincente. That's true. Yeah. So to respect that, I guess he would still be a he. Yeah, maybe isn't and maybe isn't she? To me, it was if it's about identity and things like that. And when you when before we watched this, when you told me like, oh, it's really problematic, and a lot of people have a lot of problems with it, and blah blah, I was like, okay. And so I was just imagining like, I don't know, like some really bad depictions of things. I was just prepared for like Tumblr problematic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or it's just. It's just Nazis and sexual assault and yeah, toast. Or, but then like once like the storyline became clear, I was like, oh, yeah, I can see how this is Tumblr problematic. But then at the end, like while it made me think a lot of things, I just assumed that people would have an issue with like the trans issues in it. Yeah. And but to me, the what the film is saying is that like the surface shit is just the surface shit. The skin you're in is like is closely tied to our identities, but ultimately that's just like the skin sack <laughs> that that you Ew! that you are housed in. Because e- me, even you, even oh. even someone as ethereal as you. Oh, thank you. You're Stacey. still contained in a skin sack. 
Because even Vicente, like, even though all of this was done to him, complete body restructure, complete face, everything had been transformed. It wasn't who he was on the inside. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, it, I don't know. I, I, I think that's a good message. Yeah, I think, no, and I think it, it does, af- it affirms the idea of identity being something that we have agency in. Mm. Um, that, uh, yeah. It's just an argument the- for, like, letting transgendered people, you know, be who they want to be and match mm-hmm. their insides to the outsides if they choose and it's not just like the like the typical argument from transphobes is just like it's a ma- a man's going to put on a dress and go in the girl's bathroom and rape everybody you know what i mean like that kind of thing and it's like a man who knows he's a like a cis man who knows he's a man putting on a dress doesn't fucking change that and i just yeah. feel like this was a more extreme example <laughs> like way fucking extreme yeah, uh, yeah, very extreme example of that. You know, proving that point. Yeah, and yet, what I also think is really interesting about this is how um, Vicente has to like takes on that identity, and and we don't. I think, I think, I do think they go back and forth between he and she. Um, I think in the end, it's absolutely we understand that this is Vicente. Uh, this is him. Um, but earlier when, when she's Vera, uh, she has to be Vera to survive. Mm-hmm. And, and she knows that she knows that she has to, she has to be Vera. She has to become a love object for this doctor. Um, like the doctor even says, like, think of your, va- think of your vagina as, Oh, what does he say when he, when he hands her the dilators? Yeah. And he's like, treat your vagina like your life depends on it. Right. And that's true in all cases here, because she has to be she has to be this woman to actually survive and to to create this plan to break free from him. Um, So it's really interesting to me how there's something also said at the same like it can say exactly what you're saying about identity and and the sake that um no matter how you shift who we are it might not shift how we actually see ourselves or feel inside um but at the same time there's sort of this sub narrative built in about um kind of the the social the socialization of woman as woman and the conditioning uh and how a lot of the tropes of femininity or these expectations um, are are really put on women by by normative society hmm. um i like i think that this movie i think it's interesting because a lot of people read this movie as um like the forced sex change surgery which is handled pretty shittily in other films like there there actually is an adaptation of the same novel or it's it's i don't know if it's spun off from the novel or if it's like an uncredited adaptation but the the film is skin i live in is based on a novel by terry jonquet who's this french author and i guess in in england it's or in america it's published as tarantula but then there's a film victim that came out in 2010, which hmm. I haven't seen. I've seen the trailer and it's just a mad science. It looks like hostile, but with a mad scientist forcing a sex change on this guy. Um, hmm. Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver also did a movie with Michelle Rodriguez oh, where Sigourney's yeah, the, Jack the mad Hill, scientist. The Jack Hill movie. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, who does a forced sex change on Michelle Rodriguez and and basically makes her into a woman um, from a, a male, like, a mercenary or whatever. And a lot of those are just kind of done just for the exploitation or this, like, heterosexual or, like, cis fear of queerness. Right, yeah, yeah. Of that, of that forced transition where it's just, like, exploitive and gross. But... This feels less about the fear of sex change and more to me about like just a comment on socialization and what what it means to wear these different identities and how they are imposed on us um, by by the world. So, yeah, there's so much operating in this film. It really is. Oh, operating. Oh, Did you get it? I get it. That's funny. I didn't mean it like that, and I realized I pun. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a it's a heady view. It's not the one to throw on at a party. It's definitely gonna make you think. <laughs> it's long too. It's two fucking hours. It's a long movie and it's a long foreign film. And um, this is the one I put on at all my cocktail parties. Yeah. <laughs> I really like. I'm it. like if if you guys love pieces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you seen the skin I live in? <laughs> I really liked it. I really really liked it a lot. Oh, I'm so glad you liked yeah. it. I, I truly, I truly love this movie. It really is one of my favorites. Um, I just, I love Alma Devar. I love, I love the style. Yeah. Um, it's also, it's so nice seeing those little, like, we get, we get shades of, um, of Eyes Without a Face. We get shades of uh, just all the richness of that film shows up in here, but in a completely different form. Yeah, it's so clinical. And, it's so clinical. It is. Yeah. It is. And yet beautiful. Like how his yeah. his mansion is like he has this gross like basement clinic thing, but then it's all and it's also very sterile. The world the film is very sterile with her her suit that she has to wear to mold her skin and all that. Yeah. Um but there's also beautiful art everywhere and color. Uh like I love the art that's throughout his house mm-hmm. and just all those all those oversized paintings of like fleshy um like re- pre-rococo women yeah. <laughs> lounging around it's just like yeah it's a it's a really delicious film to me in a very fucked up way yeah <laughs> it's definitely it's fucked up it's fucked yeah up. in a in a good way like you said it's you know who doesn't like fucked up movies yeah and at the end our homegirl gets to hook up with christina the lesbian <laughs> That's true, I guess. <laughs> so, <laughs> Elena Anaya, Elena Anaya, aka Doctor Poison and Wonder Woman. Let me tell you, Elena Anaya is a really big win for Team Lesbian. <laughs> is she a dyke? Yeah. Are you for real? Yeah. Can you believe it? Okay, that changes this movie even more for me. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that, and that. Oh, well, I thought is you amazing. knew that. I thought you knew. No, no I had no idea. She's a big one in the W column, yeah, for us. Oh, I love her. Yeah. Wow, she's one of your best. She really is. <laughs> one of your our proudest and our brightest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, Elena and I. She's and she. I cannot say how masterful she is in this movie. She's really wonderful. Yeah. Um. Oh, watching her like anytime she does her karate kicks. 
good shit, man. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it. Yay. Yeah. Well, I wasn't sure. Yeah. And honestly, like, things don't get revealed until, like, after the hour mark. You don't know where it's going. And, like, once the second rape happened, I thought, like, I know you had mentioned it, but you were like, it's kind of weird, and, you know, he doesn't shit. And I was like, okay, not sure what that meant. And then, like, the second rape starts, and I'm just like, oi. <laughs> I forgot there were two. Like, I only remembered what, one. Could, what have you gotten me into? And then, like, once, the, and then from that point on, though, for me, the movie got even better. Like, once you knew what was up and but were unsure how it was going to unfold, it was just sort of like, wah! Like, I was really into it. So, yeah. But it is oh, rapey. Yeah, yeah. It's rapey. It's rapey. It's rapey. It's. <laughs> it's uh, forced transition y. It's. Uh, sexist it's creepy um but it i think it has a lot of smart things to i don't know if it really has things to say as much as it has things to ask mm. and a little both and it i does, think yeah and it does a good job and it is it is fun you're right it is like kind of like two movies connected with a bridge of a flashback yeah um, yeah and they're both such bizarre movies and i really enjoy them yeah because they just it provokes me to to really think about how i look at these topics and and i think that is one benefit of film too is and a film like this that operates in a in sort of a sci-fi realm where it's like a realm of what if or what uh where it's a little bit safer to ask these questions too because it is very surreal and sort of removed from reality in a way similar to eyes without a face actually Mm -hmm. fairy tale-ish yeah yeah I th- we're allowed to ask questions and explore things, you know? No, we're not. This is the problem with, like, <laughs> sure, like, let me put on my Andy Rooney face again. But it's like, you know, it's I just feel like when we're trying to shut everything out, it's like, no, there are questions we should be asking. And if anything should be asking them, it's fucking art, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, it's no, that's super true. But that's like if this I can only imagine the reception this film would get um, from like those Reed college students I talked about earlier who violently protested Boys Don't Cry. Right. Like 20 years too late, like before that, a movie that came out before they were fucking born. Yeah, no kidding. Um, after they were, unfortunately, to say it, born into privileges that trans people who had been through a lot worse won for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so like this this film uh yeah i can only imagine how someone would look at this or you know there's so many different ways the the sexual violence the fact that there there's a a cis gay man directing it you know that um but it it it's really thoughtful in how it poses these questions and it makes me uh it makes me grateful that people are thinking about these things because if we don't, if we don't ask questions and we don't, we don't look at these issues, then we're just not going to talk about them and there won't be any education or thought around them. Right. Um, yeah. And it, and it's, I think in, especially, yeah, in art and in film, it's a, it's a safer place to kind of play with this sort of uh, train of thought than like, just walking up to somebody who lives this and asking them right like, yeah. edu- educate me exactly. you know exactly so that's questions are worth asking i'm sorry yeah. to make you think about something it's like everybody just wants to know that the entertainment they're about to consume already conforms to everything that they think you know what i mean yes 
It's like, I think it was Seth Meyers, of all people, talked about the trends that comedy is taking. Like, comedy is trending towards clapter, he called it, instead of laughter. Where some comedians are just sort of regurgitating the views that you have without any, like, actual fucking jokes. But you're still like, oh, yes, say it, you know, like, just kind of reinforcing the views that you already hold. Oh, like a little preaching to the choir comedy. Yeah, yeah. Where, oh, where we go, oh, yes, racism is bad. Right, ha, exactly. Ha, ha. Without Yes, sexism is bad. Ha, ha, yeah, ha. and I think a lot of people look for that in their entertainment also of like, yeah. maybe something will conform to your worldviews, but in a different way. Or just like making you think, like, I just, I just want critical thinking to like still be a fucking thing, you know? Well, and that's, that's the idea. That's why I have a, that's why I, I love the word problematic, but I also have an issue with the word problematic is we use the word problematic to dismiss things. Right. Yes. But it's like, no, that is a, the word problematic shows that I think that we can investigate things because it's, there are provocative. Yeah. Provocative. That works. But I feel like provocative is like what you say about like an Emmanuel movie. Like, <laughs> That's true. Basic instinct. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's provocative. <laughs> it's provocative. Like any USA movie drama yeah, or whatever. That's like, true. That's true. It's provocative. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, and 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 I do think I do absolutely believe, and I've been stressing this throughout, and in the last episode because I read a book, but like <laughs> it, that attitude of not wanting to be confronted with views or with with problems that um, might skate beyond our experience or that might make us feel discomforted, all do come from a place of privilege and come from a place of of um, wanting to adhere with one kind of moral or fundamental outlook on how the world should be and actually that outlook of of what's acceptable and what is um what is progressive and what is whatever is is just all playing into this prescribed book of of privilege as it's afforded to the to the to the loudest people who are able to make their voices the most heard right now mm-hmm. um so i agree so that's why I'm getting my face removed <laughs> and I'm going to get a mask Man. and I'm going to get my doves. If I could come out of it looking like Elena and I, uh, I'd be fine with having everything replaced. Oh, she's so fucking hot. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> she is so hot. Also her art that she, I love that she's an artist. I love that she uh, is into Louise Bourgeois. Mm-hmm. Like, ugh. She reads Alice Munro. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, it's so, and I don't, but I don't feel that this, and that's the thing is I don't feel that Vicente would do that. Mm. Uh, like Vicente was an artist, like did, you know, was what a visual merchandiser, like right, basically yeah. did anthropology displays at his mom's shop. And the mom is an incredible actor, by the way. Yes. I love that yeah. actress. Um, all the acting in this movie is spectacular, but yeah, I love that. I mean, I guess you never know what will emerge when you're locked in a fucking room for years and years and years. Yeah, you become a feminist artist. You become a feminist artist. <laughs> and you become obsessed with feminist artists. I mean, artists he, and... he had a glow up, let's face it, right? Like, I realized it's it was forced true. upon him and it didn't match the way he felt on the inside completely and all of this, but it was a glow up. It was better, way better than that peach fuzz. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> As we cancel ourselves. As we cancel ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I well yeah yeah I I'm gonna I'm gonna 
changed my uh skin. <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna not I'm gonna not have any skin. I'm just gonna be a beast. I'm gonna walk into heterosexual places and pour salt on myself and just scream at everyone. Do it. <laughs> do it. And, and, and do the same thing me. at Pride and just say that it's your kink, you know? And Yeah, and I'm gonna just say deal with deal it. Deal with it. Deal with Pixelated it. sunglasses you know will lower from the ceiling <laughs> onto your face and you'll say deal with it. <laughs> Thank you for seeing me. <laughs> I just want a world of nightmare women without faces. And we right. all do high kicks. We all have birds. Is that too much to ask? Also, one last note about both of these movies. Um, I really love these as a double feature. It's a great double feature. <laughs> it's a long, heady, foreign double feature, but they work so well together. They really do. Yay! <laughs> Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Stacy. <laughs> I've got a question for you. Oh, oh, for me. Yeah, yeah. Do we have a listener question? Oh, shit. I should have said question. You got me. I should have done like Destiny's Child and said question, tell me a listener question. <laughs> wow. It's not a question. You're a bugaboo. Okay. Wow, well, I feel offended. <laughs> Uh, I gotta tell AOL to make my email stop. <laughs> Sorry, I love Bugaboo. Anyway. <laughs> it's so dated. Like, I love that it's at that, you know what I mean? Like, it's so dated in all of its references. I love it. But you're bringing it back. I am. I'm bringing Bugaboo back. <laughs> Just... Gaylords of Darkness forging ahead on the sea of relevance. <laughs> you know it. You know what? I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna dress up as Velvet Planner. Oh. And I'm gonna go to the karaoke bar and do Bugaboo, and it'll just be like I will create a wormhole in time <laughs> on the stage and just travel back to a time when things were shittier in a lot of regards and okay in some others. Please tell me you'll fix an exit light while you do that. I'll fix <laughs> And then look off menacingly. I know how to use a computer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the question this week comes from Darcy, who sent us an adorable picture of her cat in a bow tie. Oh, my God. Now, look, people, we like it when you send us questions. We extra like it when there are pictures of pets attached. Honestly, that's the only way to do this correctly. So, I'm just saying. Wayne and Darcy, we got your number. Good job. We got your numbers. Good job. Thank you very much. So, Darcy asks, what are the best horror novel adaptations to film, in your opinion? Oof. And are there any horror novels you would like to see adapted? And who would your... Oh, I didn't think about the Dreamcast. And who would your Dreamcast for these be? <laughs> Not that I've ever heard this question before in my life. You're just having so, a psychic moment. Your eyes just turned white. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. you're having, you're having a, a case little of, flash. The, of the cunning. So basically, what are the best uh, adaptations of horror novels? I don't and read. Are there any horror novels that you would like to see adapted? No. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're the Gay Lords of Darkness. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, huh. Well, I'll, uh, I mean, best. First of all, these two films that we talked about today are both adapted from books. Oh, I didn't know Eyes Without a Face was a book. Indeed. Oh, how lovely. Yes, by the same team who brought us uh, Diabolique. Oh. Yeah, and Vertigo. Apparently the novel focused more on the Doctor and they shifted it to focus on the film to focus on Christiane. Interesting. I think Alma DeVar did the same thing with um, The Skin I Live In, actually, with that book. Mm. I could see I could totally see it coming from Diabolique. That's so funny. Yeah. Vertigo, though. Oh, that makes too much sense. But also, I hate Vertigo. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking hate that. Well. Anyway. (laughs) So, I mean, best horror novel adaptations. I mean, like the exorcist for sure i forget that that's based on a book real good that book i carried around in my that binder book is as real a scary it's a scary fucking book even and when you've seen the movie so many times the book is still very unsettling yeah oh yeah and super solid adaptation absolutely Hmm. i mean same writer which helps yeah um i thought that the ritual was real it's on netflix um i read the book afterwards and i think the movie's better than the book it's very different in a lot of respects and i don't i kind of prefer the movie i think oh is that the blair witchy face monster blair witchy dudes yeah the monster the little village in the woods yeah 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 yeah. oh okay i didn't know there was a book of that yeah yep so i prefer the movie i think hot takes hot take it's a hot take yeah so uh yeah what are your best adaptations i would say you know i truly love let the right one in Mm. and the book oh the book is amazing the book has a little i mean a lot more material um like like for example the movie only hints at it but you get the full backstory about eli uh or ely the vampire girl um being actually a little boy who was castrated and then made into a vampire um and so there's a lot more of the queerness is in the in the book but it still comes through in the movie and it's just told just through glances you know which i love uh because i think that's that's something really hard to do in an adaptation is how do you convey text without exposition and how do you convey that story and i think the movie does a great job of that and it's just beautiful and captures the vibes I, i will always love that movie um I really love Carrie as an adaptation. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, when it swung back to me, I was going to say, like, obviously I'm leaving out, like, so many fucking Stephen King. Yeah. Like, because oh, there yeah, are a lot of great ones. adaptations. Yeah. I, I still yeah. think, I still think Carrie's my favorite Stephen King novel, and I still think it's my favorite Stephen King movie. Um, I think it's really hard to surpass Carrie. Uh, and then, of uh, uh, deep favorite of mine and a more recent favorite of mine um because i just saw the movie for the first time in the at the end of last year and then read the book immediately after um it's the stepford wives mm-hmm. i i can i still don't understand and even you know our friends on faculty of horror said this in their their episode about the stepford wives which i highly recommend you listen to if you haven't um I don't understand how men, Ira Levin, who wrote the book and the men that made the movie, I do not understand how they made one of what I think is one of the most feminist stories I've ever read and seen. Uh, Yeah. And it's a truly, truly exceptional horror film and just paranoia thriller. Uh, Love it so much. 
But then also I have to cheat just a little bit. And I've talked about it before, I think just recently even, but really one of my very favorite adaptations is Hannibal, the TV series, Mm. Um, because they adapt every single book in the Thomas Harris Hannibal canon, except for Silence of the Lambs, because they couldn't get the rights to that. But they still allude to a lot of the storyline with tribute episodes. But um, they compl- it's like they put the entirety of Thomas Harris's like weird coked out writing in a blender, in a big old queer blender, and they shook everything up and just realigned all the parts in a way that's even better than the books could have even tried to do it. And... I am definitely not a purist when it comes to the adaptation of those books, but I I think that they, by going so against what you expect from the books, they actually made an even like a the 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 best possible adaptation of those stories, um, and in a queer image too, which is very welcome to me. Heck yeah, yeah. Oh, oh I gotta give a shout out. Obviously, it should go without saying for me at this point, but the haunting. Oh oh fuck yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you'd be, like, you'd be canceled if you didn't. I'll be canceled if I don't mention it. So some of these go without saying. I tried to, like, the ritual, I think, people should see. I really liked it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, man, so many Stephen Kings are so good. I just, uh, there's a lot. A lot. There's so a lot. many class. So many classic horror films come from books, and you might not even realize it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know Eyes Without a Face was a book. Yeah. Well, it's foreign, you know? I don't read those so words. No, how could you know? <laughs> how could you know? <laughs> so, so uh, anything you would like to see adapted? I uh, yes. Uh, the to- at the top of my charts, um, there is an amazing novel that I just it cracks me up. It's also scary. It's it's very gory. It's very gross. Um, and it's written by a total nerd with a. a amazing um, literary skill, but it's the sad tale of the brothers Grossbart by Jesse Bullington. Full disclosure. I did seek out Jesse on the internet after I read this book and, and forced myself to become his friend. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jesse did create a, a, a fantasy series called um, a crown of cold silver, I think was the first book. And he did create a fantasy series where actually Carla Rossi as a drag character is a recurring character in the books. <laughs> um, oh, I see. So, so full disclosure, I'm not just recommending this book because this guy's my friend, but he is a great writer. And the sad tale of the brothers gross part is about um, these two. It's, it's set in the medieval Germany and it's about these two just like disgusting awful medieval dudes that they they kill everything they rape everything they consume everything they're just pure toxic gross awful and they're the lead characters and you follow them as they just go on this rampage of just drunk barbarism um but meanwhile they're up against this amazing witch who takes off pieces of her body and they become her familiars and they all do her work for her and there's also a killer mermaid uh, <laughs> and I love this book. It is so funny. It is so gross. It is so over the top. And if you really, if you like any kind of myth or fairy tale or European folklore, um, this book is so studied in all of those areas. Um, so my dream cast for the brothers, I would love to see Tim Heidecker because I love him. Of course, yeah. 
and Brett Gelman, Brett Gelman was on, um, he was on Fleabag and he was in another period and he always plays this like totally boorish, disgusting man in everything he does. And he looks like one, but he's actually a really smart guy. And I, I like, he actually, I think quit a show on Adult Swim because they weren't like, there were, they were being awful to women. And so I think he quit the show altogether and like, he seems like a good guy. So I'd want to see him. Um, for the witch, I have to see Alice Krieg because mm. Alice Krieg, of course, Alice fucking Krieg. Can you imagine Alice Krieg is like this naked, like the way the witch is written in the book? She almost looks like Helena Marcos, but she just takes off like her her nose, and it turns into like a demon and flies away. And like, <laughs> I want to see Alice Krieg do that. And then for the mermaid, I couldn't think of any anybody else than my own friend who is uh, who performs as a mermaid in Vancouver, Canada, um, Tristan Risk, who is also a great actor. I would love to see her eat some men. Um, there so yeah. you go. Highly recommend The Sad Tale <laughs> of the Brothers Grossbart. It's a great book, especially if you love horror and mythology and comedy. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So you do read. No, no, Stacy. This is hate speech. How dare, how dare you ensnare me? Is that why you did this whole episode? I just... trapped you. <laughs> we all know the truth now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Damn it. Ah. Well, uh, one book that I would like to see adapted. Ultimately, I didn't like the book. I thought it was a great premise, full of promise, and then it stunk. It stunk, oh, no. up the, it stunk up the joint. And so I say I would like to see this adapted by me <gasps> or someone else who could sort of rewrite it and take the premise and do something really fucking cool with it instead of what we got. Anyway, that book is a Dutch book. Uh, it's called Hex. Hex? Hex by <laughs> Thomas Old Huvelt. And uh, the premise is there is this town that is cursed by a witch. They, you know, in the 17th century or whatever, they thought she was a witch and her son died and she brought him back to life. And then they killed her and her son, but she came back again. And now she haunts the town and she's a physical presence. They have sewn her eyes and her mouth shut. Uh, and they have her in chains and she basically wanders around town and they've created this and she doesn't do anything because she can't but she'll like be in your house just standing by your bed for hours just standing there who knows what she's doing because anytime they've tried to experiment on her or take the string out or anything like that people are stricken with these horrible thoughts of suicide and no one can leave town for an extended period or the thoughts seep in and you end up killing yourself. So everybody's kind of trapped in this town by this presence, right? Wicked great fucking premise, right? And always confronted with her, but they can't always do anything about her. Always confronted with her. So they've actually created, this is kind of corny, but they've actually created like an app, a sighting app. So you know where she is all the time. Oh, this is current. This is current. This is like a okay, Yeah. So you kind of know where she is all the time. And it's like the book sets up this one premise. And then in the second half, it's like these teenagers are tired of being trapped in the town. And so they're going to start fucking with the witch because they don't believe any of this stuff. Right. And so basically they start one of them like stones her 
uh, and then the town enacts this sort of like you're not allowed to fuck with the witch like that's a big rule and so they flog him and then someone ends up dead because they recorded her whispering and if you like hear her whispering it's going to drive you nuts so right so there's this like very white american family like mom dad two sons one of the sons ends up dead and then it just turns into this awful like pet cemetery kind of thing and the no. book has a lot of like the author apparently is gay but he's got some fucking issues there's a lot of like like the women character it's i don't know if it's misogynist but it ain't probably great. You know what I mean? There's a lot of weird fixations on like breasts and nipples and a lot of like breast trauma and things like that. There's the two sons in the family. One of them's gay. He and the mom are end up dead because the dad is so concerned with the other son, who's the one who died, who was like the all American football star and all of it like it's just it's and it's not really well written either <laughs> like mm. oh. and part of part of that is going to be the translation translation and part of it is just it's just not well written but the premise is so good and there's so much potential there that's and really it, terrifying and like sounds so rich in yeah yeah that's what i thought when i heard the premise and then i read it and i said <sighs> oh no man isn't that just like the the shitty tits. The shitty not tits. To, it's the not shitty to be tits. obsessed with breasts. breasts. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of like, it's. it tries to play that whole like, oh, but the people are the real monsters. And it's like, but also you have this witch and you've established that she does fuck people up. Like, so you can't just like, cha- and then be like, no, 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 it's really people who are, but you, but the witch, like, <laughs> but the can town- we talk about the witch? <laughs> yeah, the town actually is cursed. You know what I mean? Like people can't leave because they'll kill themselves. So you can't have it both ways and try to do like a, you just can't do it both ways. Yeah. So when, when you say, if we didn't know that the witch was a witch, you could go there. But when you establish this presence and what she can do and what she can't do, you can't then turn around and say, like, no, it's the townspeople who are bad. Yeah. So anyway, so adapt it, but totally different. I want to I want to <laughs> see you do that. Well, and that's not the first time that's ever been done. A, mo- right, a lot of true. books are, are turned that way where it's like, here's a great premise and let's do something totally different. Usually they do something totally different for no reason and then it's terrible yeah but i think that's a great argument to adapt something is to make it better (laughs) right yeah and to actually cash in on its potential that that's what i wanted from the book i just was done with it and i was so just get this out of my house i don't want this book take it away i i read in the premise i thought it was going to be the love of my life you know what i mean yeah it sounds like it yeah so I would like to see it turn into that. So Who I bet it'll you? get adapted at some point. I don't even have a cast for it because I would shift the focus. It all becomes about the dad of the family in the latter half. And first of all, uh-uh, no, no, not that in my America, true. not in my not Dutch in, America, not in my Christian house. <laughs> so they would be so different that I can't even really come up with a cast, you know, even the witch Alice Krieg. Alice Krieg, fine, yeah, <laughs> perfect, <laughs> perfect. Any, I mean, I just picture her looking really horrifying, you know, yeah. like it's a horrifying, chilling image. 
she wouldn't be like a babe witch who just happens to be sewn up. Like I would want her to be all haggy looking and shit. (laughs) Babe witch. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's my movie. (laughs) (laughs) Babe witch. Hey, I'm babe witch. Did someone order a babe witch? (laughs) (laughs) With a side of pickles shitty tits <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> babe witch with a side of shitty tits yeah. <laughs> <sighs> i just the idea of having to have this like you're trapped in this town like a brigadoon from hell and yeah. that this witch could just like you just have to deal with it if she wanders into your house and is standing next to your bed that's horrifying yeah, a lot of them See? just, like, throw a towel over her head so you don't have to look at her, you know? Oh, my God. That, like, makes me want to read it now, though. But then now Trust I know me. it's going to be sour. Hmm. It'll Can you make the you. movie? Just make the movie now. I'll just now. make the movie. Yeah, I mean, okay, can't you take the premise and, like, no, it's this is called Flex. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, by Blasey Blonder. <laughs> by Blasey Blonder. <laughs> she's a very muscular witch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what Murnau did with Nosferatu. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And there were no legal repercussions around that. No, no, so no. I'm sure it's but fine. it's such a good idea, and it just devolves into nonsense and misogyny and just like weird yeah. homophobia. And I'm like, this this writer's got some shit he needs to work out. Yeah, like, it's a gay writer for you. Yeah, yeah. So, yay. Happy Pride. Yay. <laughs> Happy Pride. Let's rewrite gay authors' books. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Isn't that what Pride's all about? Well, it is. It's an adaptation. It's about looking at stuff gay people have done and saying, that's not good enough. I'm doing Couldn't it better. Couldn't this gay do it better? Couldn't this gay do it better? Yeah. Let, let's a gay collaborative. We're going to enhance each other in our community by taking the shitty work we've done and improving on it. I think that's good. I think that's right. fine. It's just it, our Borg future, right? It's our Borg. Yeah. Let's. Oh, God. Oh, no. Now we are the Borg. <laughs> yeah. I just hate a premise that stinks in the end. You know, that to me yeah. is, I don't know. I it's like it when it's a waste, when it's really it's good, but when you think it's going to be good, but it's a waste. It's like when you get a delicious, you, you're like going to get some food and you think it's going to be great. And then yeah. it's just like sucks. And you're like, that was a waste of a meal. Why did I eat that when I could have had like cake or something? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like that's the worst feeling. Yeah. So, wasted opportunity. That was me with this book. So anyway, oh. there you go. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh if you have a problem or a question (laughs) yeah let's just if you have a problem (laughs) with us or something we've said or you know you disagree with something or whatever you can send us an email or you have a question that you'd like us to answer gaylords at gaylordsofdarkness.com we're on facebook facebook.com slash gaylordsofdarkness and of course twitter twitter gaylords of d so uh give us a rating and a reviewing on itunes or whatever if you want i don't care please do stacy doesn't care but i do it's the only way i find validation at night in my skin suit (laughs) i put on my little um my little toe grip socks and my face mask horrifying thing are those toe socks elena and aya you pull them off well anybody else 
you're not you're not Elena Anaya. You're not Elena Anaya. You have no business showing your toes like that. No, you. Get I don't the, consent. Get your toes out of my pride parade, okay? Wow, for a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured, yet informative. I know, right? Uh, is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, oh, oh my god! god. Oh, oh my god. god! Tune in next time for more Gators of Darkness! Ha <laughs> ha